When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Forever Dog I used to think that this was my town What a stupid thing to think I hear you biting off a brain down I myself am on the brain I used to want to be a real man I don't know what that even means I just want you in my arms again, and we can search each other's dreams. What's up, 3Bs? What's up, Diamond Dogs? What's up, Athletic Gerbils? It's Rhea Butcher, the host of Three Swings, the podcast about baseball and other things. It's become more and more about those other things. Thanks for being here. Um, I'm going to be real honest. Difficult to sit down and do this podcast today, um, just because... It's, you know, it's a every day throughout this entire pandemic, but honestly through life, just a whole new set of overwhelming circumstances. Um, And this week, uh, we are once again in the throes of a very public uh, conversation and confrontation and collision with uh, the racist oppression of this country. And uh, it was happening yesterday. It was happening the day before that. It was happening the week before that. It was happening the month before that. It was happening the year before that. It continues to happen. Um, it's it's a common uh, post that I've been seeing is that racism has not gotten worse. It's just being filmed. Um, and so I see that. I feel that. And, you know, I wonder, I question do I sit down and do I record this podcast? Do I put out a podcast about um, baseball players uh, confronting major league baseball ownership uh, about their salaries? Is that the right thing to do? Um, And I am sitting down to do it because perhaps there's something to be learned. You know, perhaps there's some sort of uh, communication we're supposed to have. Maybe I'm going to say something on here that's going to make you think about something a different way or consider it or spend a little time or do something different um, with your life. I, I I don't claim to try to change everything. Um, somebody that I respect a lot has passed along the phrase, which is something that I've talked about a lot on this podcast, which is you want world peace. Start with smiling at your deli guy. And I take that as a, a metaphor these days. Because A, I don't have a deli guy, number one. So what does that mean? And then two, I have a mask on most of the time. So what does that mean? So in terms of, okay, so if I want world peace, if I want these things to change, what do I do? Um, Stay mindful. Continue doing the things that I do to, you know, put peace and love out there. Um, So I show up for this podcast for the people that listen to it who want to hear me talk, I guess, you know, 
Um, there's a lot going on. It's hard to know what to do. I think um, taking a moment to really reflect on oneself and one's belief systems um, and really question and look at those things is, is a powerful first step. I think to see what's happening and spend some time with your thoughts and feelings, writing them out uh, with a pen and paper, um, sitting and meditating on them, um, speaking with somebody that you trust that you, you know, you can talk these things out with all those kinds of things. Um, before you start posting on social media, before you start doing this, doing that. Um, I think sometimes it's helpful to slow down and check in with yourself. I'm not saying don't do something. What I'm saying is, especially if you're a white person, slow down and decenter yourself a little bit um, and check in with yourself as to why are you taking these actions? Is it because you want something back or are you sharing, are you trying to give something to the situation? And that's something I have to practice about everything. This is not just about showing up as, as somebody as a white person that can help the be, be one of many white people um, standing against the white supremacy of this country uh, past and current. Um, so some things that I've done, um, I matched a donation to the, the Minnesota uh, Relief Fund. I'm going to pull that actually up on my phone so that I'm quoting the right thing and not just saying something whatever. Uh, Minnesota Freedom Fund, um, which you can find in my bio on my Instagram, but it's also minnesotafreedomfund.org slash donate. Uh, that's for not only uh, George Floyd, but also people who have been arrested for protesting. Um, I have also signed up for a, like a Zoom today. There's all kinds of things. I will report back on what I learned how to do. I've slowed down and um, taken a moment to consider what it is that I'm posting, the content of what I'm posting. I tried to repost and lift up voices of uh, black people, uh, people of color, brown people, indigenous people. Um, so these are small ways, very, very small ways that you can make a difference. Um, and I, But I think the most important thing, if you are a white person who is listening to this right now, um, is to talk to other white people about this. And not about why it's, eh, not that, it, you know, actually stand in the truth of what this moment is. Um, which is why you got to check in with yourself first and and really understand what your beliefs are and question those. Like, I I have been off of Twitter for the most part this week. I, it was something I had planned to do um, as just a general self-care sort of thing. It was something I planned to do and I took Twitter off my phone on Monday after finding out some sort of devastating news specific to the Los Angeles comedy scene. And I was like, all right, well, this is just a sign that this is maybe the moment. So I just took it off my phone. And so I have sort of missed the moment to moment of, of what is going on right now and just sort of known the general thing. But um, some people are calling for abolishing police and uh, many people are questioning that because the existence of police 
feels safe to some people, specifically white people. Um, the existence of police because they have not had, they perhaps they haven't had a situation where their safety is threatened by police. <laughs> and um, I, I just ask you that if, if you say, well, we need reform, but I don't think we should get rid of cops. Just ask, just spend some time with why you think that. Um, and what, what do you think the world would look like without cops? Because to me, the world could be a much more loving and tender place um, if we didn't have armed guards supposedly protecting the property of this country as opposed to um, communities that were able to look out for each other. Um, I think it's a major issue that police don't live in the precincts that they parole, that they cruise through. I think it's a, it's a major issue. Uh, if I was going to, if we were going to keep policing and have major criminal, ma criminal justice reform, that would be one of my first, you, you have to live where you police. Um, I think that's a major problem because there is zero in investment in the community thriving. There's a major investment in criminal activity. And so I just ask people to consider that. We live currently in a world where police see everyone as a criminal until a, a potential criminal. So these are people with guns and bulletproof vests and all these things patrolling our neighborhoods, looking at us as though we are criminals in waiting to happen. And if you are a person of color, you are even more so down the scale on that. So how is that a world where anyone could really ever feel safe? Um, when the world is full of bad guys, the world is full of bad guys. Um, and once we reconsider the way that we look at each other and crime and everything, um, it starts to really all fall apart. Um, and I highly recommend reading some of Father Gregory Boyle's books. Um, he is a, a, the person who started Homeboy Industries. Um, and there's a lot of passages about cops in there and the way that they look at gang members as, you know, scum and criminals um, and no, no one as people. Um, and so I just think, just consider it. Just take a moment because cops are the changeable thing here. <laughs> cops are the option. They are the optional thing. People existing in the world are not. That's not. Um, and uh, just watch as this unfolds and see see what they do to cover this up, to get out of it. Um, and if all the moments of uh, racial injustice and racial violence by police towards uh, black men, black women, black trans people um, in this country has not changed your mind about this, please let this be the one. Please don't dwell on your past inaction. Choose now. Choose now to be the moment where you say, okay, I hear you. I'm, I see it. No more. No more. No more. Just have, just have now be the moment. 
Um, and so I appreciate you listening. I'm going to talk in a moment after I give you a couple ads here <laughs> for, for something you might need right now. Uh, we're going to get into uh, what's going on with men's Major League Baseball um, right after this. We're back. Thanks so much, everybody, for listening and being here at the show. And thank you if you tuned in to the old ball game uh, this past weekend. We had a great time watching the Arizona Diamondbacks topple the New York Yankees in 2001. Um, it was quite the ride. A lot of fun. We've got another another live stream coming up this weekend, so please tune into that. Um, check us out on our Patreon, as you already heard, but I'll repeat it again at patreon.com slash swings. And you can come watch a baseball game with me and my friends, Waylon McQueen and Greg Nix, um, hosts of the Duck Snort podcast. Uh, it's just a real fun time and like a nice break and a Sunday ESPN tonight baseball sort of time. Um, so I want to start this segment off by first saying that I, uh, a friend of mine texted me because he had watched the battered bastards of baseball on Netflix. If you haven't seen that documentary, it's about the Portland Mavericks. It's about Bing Russell, uh, actor, former baseball player, and also father of Kurt Russell, um, who started the Portland Mavericks, the last independent baseball team to exist in, um, America, uh, he started it in 1971. Uh, the documentary is from 2014. It's on Netflix. You can watch it. Uh, I've seen it many times. It's been a minute since I've watched it. Um, and I will say it it continues to hold up. Um, every time I watch it, it's about something new for me. And it was a pretty apt watch. And I, I bring it up ahead of this because it reminds me so much of why. Uh, I, I am hardcore on the side of the players currently. Um, and I'm always going to be hardcore on the side of the labor or the, the, the labor becomes so many things, right? It, it, it's a metaphor for everything. Who is, who is the labor? Who is the ownership? Who is the elite? Who is the working class? And so even though these guys that we're going to talk about in a minute, are making astronomical amounts of money. They are still the labor. And we are seeing how much they are making. But because baseball is exempt from antitrust laws, we have never seen their books. And we don't have to see their books. When I say their books, I mean how much money they make in revenues as teams. And to pull a sort of conservative talking point back at them, why didn't you plan for a rainy day? Where's your money? You didn't plan for this. You've been chugging along. Why didn't you set aside any cash for a rainy day? Now they expect the labor force to pay for it, which is essentially what's happening in the country. Um, we, The government just blew all of our cash on companies, which most of those companies uh, were friends of the administration, um, so basically we just, all of our tax dollars was just laundered into his friends um, and then probably laundered back into his, through his campaign finance. 
so I don't expect these players to just bend over and do exactly what these owners asked them to do. So back to the battered bastards of baseball without getting, if you haven't seen it yet, I don't want to, you know, give the whole thing away, but if, if you are a person who is questioning like, but baseball is important and the love of the game and all these things, like I, I ask you to once again, question why you think these corporations who are for the most part made up of a bunch of people who have never played baseball, <laughs> who, who don't even love it truly. Um, and it's all about a product. It's not actually about, you know, I've, I've been on here and, and talking to other people about, well, but there was a time when it was about more than just the profit. I actually take that back. And I don't actually think I was right. It has always been about profit. It has always been about profit. And in watching the documentary about the Portland Mavericks and remembering what that Major League Baseball has done this to themselves, they have in trying to make something that simply makes the, the the most maximum product, they have isolated themselves from the sport itself and isolated us from the sport itself. The only access we have to baseball is through men's major league baseball. There is no diversity of level and talent. I mean, they have yesterday they decimated the, they went ahead and did it with the minor leagues. There's, Hundreds of players cut. Hundreds of players cut. I wonder if the minor leagues will even exist anymore. I I feel as though they are going to create a sort of magnet or charter or private school system like to just um, work guys out on an individual level. Um, because it's not the minor leagues, even then in 1971, surrounding the Portland Mavericks, these teams were not about teams. They're not about community as much as the community makes them about community. Um, what the major leagues looks at them as is a literal farm system to pluck out specific individual players. It's not about creating a team and or even creating a product, an on-field product that people can support and love and gather around. It's simply about how do we maximize the profit by having the best farm system, which creates the maximum output of individual players who have the biggest draw for advertising dollars. And the Portland Mavericks stood as an affront to that. And they proved that that isn't the only way that baseball exists in this country and that, or in the world and that people do want an experience. It's called, it's not called the show because it's about one act. (laughs) It's about, it's about a show. It's about participating in it together as people and watching that documentary reminded me of how much major league baseball hates baseball, (laughs) you know, and I say that and you might, you might disagree with me. I hope you do, but I, and I'm not even like fatalistic about it. It's just kind of like, Oh, right. I forgot about you. I forgot how much you, we, you and I don't see eye to eye on this. You and I don't see that this game is more than you. You don't see how much bigger the game is than you. I am willing to see how much bigger the game is than me. I have had moments where I thought I was bigger than the game, and those were not great moments in my life. (laughs) But the game is bigger than any of us, and the game is bigger than any paycheck. So to get into 
what's going on around the league. Uh, bench coach Brett gave me some great notes. Um, this is from USA Today. This is our source for this. Uh, the MLB owners send latest plan for 2020 season to players. Major League Baseball dropped plans for a revenue-sharing proposal and instead introduced a sliding scale of compensation to the Major League Baseball players. Also, just to say, they they have been floating and leaking these ideas to the press and using the media to get an upper hand in negotiations, and this is not a negotiation if you're using the media. Um, so just to say that is framing this whole thing. We knew about these things before the players did. Um, and so at the very least, it's a sign of disrespect to me. And personally, I feel like if you're dealing with someone who's leaking your business matters to the press, you shouldn't be negotiating it. I wouldn't even sit down at the table with somebody doing that. So if these players wanted to go ahead and do it, I would feel like you've lost forever. Um, cause I know that there's like a collective bargaining agreement that's coming up soon. And many people believe that the union has to go like, has to, has to work with them now so that later. And like, I will just say as a person who's grown up per- during this particular time period, don't do that. <laughs> like don't do something now because you think maybe down the, don't bend to the people in powers concepts now that are awful in hopes that, oh, well, in a year they'll treat us better. It's not going to happen. They will continue to bend you backwards and forwards until you snap. Uh, So they sent this to the Major League Baseball Players Association this past Tuesday afternoon, the first time the two sides have formally discussed economic issues in an attempt to open the pandemic-shortened season by the July 4th weekend. The plan proposes to pay players a prorated percentage of their salaries, with the players who make the most taking the biggest salary cuts. Younger players who make the least amount of money would receive most of their guaranteed prorated salaries. Sounds good, right? The proposal also includes a sliding scale of compensation that guarantees players a percentage of their salaries at different intervals of the season through the postseason. Owners are concerned the postseason where they stand to generate the most revenue on TV rights fees, could be wiped out if the country is hit by a second wave of the coronavirus in October or or November. Seems like you might want to pay attention to that and perhaps not push to reopen something that might signal to other people, hey, everything's okay. The players agreed on March 26th to be paid on a prorated basis, but owners are seeking a new deal with revenues expected to fall significantly short as the result of the 82-game season and postseason likely to be played without fans in the stands. Players would receive pay cuts of more than 50% and perhaps as much as 75% for the game's top paid players. The union views the pay cuts as being massive, and the origin the initial reaction was not positive. I would say that 50 to 75% is massive. It is massive. Um, so then we have then the player responses to owner's plan. Uh, the response from players on Twitter to the owner's plan has been highly critical, with Nationals pitcher Max Scherzer leading the charge. Um So this is uh, Max Scherzer's tweet. After discussing the latest developments with the rest of the players, there's no reason to engage with MLB in any further compensation reductions. We have previously negotiated a pay cut in the version of prorated salaries, and there's no justification to accept a second pay cut based upon the current information the union has received. I'm glad to hear other players voicing the same viewpoint and believe MLB's economic strategy would completely change if all documentation were to become public information. So there you go. There's where... 
they don't actually have to share anything. Um, and Tampa Bay Rays pitcher Blake Snell voiced his discontent on Twitch Wednesday night, claiming that he would not play this season if the owner's plan passes, arguing that, quote, the risk is too high to put himself at increased danger of contracting coronavirus on top of a reduced paycheck, on top of the potential for injury, on top of leaving your family and friends behind, on top of everything. Uh, Milwaukee Brewers starting pitcher Brett Anderson also chimed in with this tweet. Uh, interesting strategy of making the best, most marketable players potentially look like the bad guys. This is something they have been doing forever. Um, they trot out the biggest numbers and they make fans, they, we, and I've been banging this drum on this podcast this whole time. You look at Manny Machado, you look at Trout, you look at Harper and you see this big number and then you think, oh, they should be, they should be grateful. They are grateful. These guys are, if they weren't grateful, they wouldn't be playing baseball. <laughs> we don't know how much these companies make. And if we did, we would be shocked, I bet. If we saw how much money was funneling through these things. And the people who own these uh, baseball teams, they're not working class, middle class, even upper class. These are elite these are the elite of the elite. These are the billionaire class that own these teams. They are already set. This is funding some other part of their life that we don't even we can't even comprehend, that we don't even know. I could go down the dark road, but I'm not going to do it. <laughs> uh, Anderson's tweet seems to reflect the thinking of most players around the league, expanded here by ESPN's Jeff Passan. If this was an attempt to buy bifurcate the union players clearly thought it was while the ownership side preferred to frame it as an effort to do right by the largest number of players it had the complete opposite effect did mlb really suggest that mike trout the best player in baseball a paragon for what the sport can and should be take a pay cut from his prorated salary of 19 million dollars to five million seven hundred forty eight thousand five hundred and seventy seven it did now, those are large numbers. That is a huge cut. The proposed cuts would work on a sliding scale. Young players making minimum salaries would be the greatest beneficiaries with their pay cut only 10%, as opposed to the near 70% Trout would take off his prorated share. Compared to his full-season salary of $37,666,666, it would represent an 85% cut. It doesn't matter how much the money is. It's an 85% cut. And when you start to look at this and you go, oh, that's a problem, then you start to open yourself up to seeing all the specific problems in people making uh, less than minimum wage, in taking pay cuts, in being paid a $300 coronavirus bonus while the CEO of the company hauls in $2 million. These are things you start to pay attention to that even though these guys are millionaires, they are millionaires because they supply a talent that is unique and specific. And everyone does that in their job. And everyone should be paid a living wage. Yes, this is mammothly bigger than a living wage. However, they're beginning to be put at a great, even greater risk than they do every day when they step out on the baseball field. And again, I ask you, how much do you think these teams are have in the bank? How much do you think they will make? And how much are they not passing on? The moment 
that details of the plan were delivered to players. They coalesced around Trout, Garrett Cole, Max Scherzer, Steven Strasburg, and Nolan Arenado. Those making the $563,500 minimum relish the idea that a baseball player can make $35 million a year. To the rank and file, the highest paid players are paragons, not pariahs. The offer, multiple players told ESPN, played as an attack on those who earned the right to negotiate their salaries, whether in free ar- agency or arbitration, which I would say they did not have until the 70s. Kurt Flood lost his career fighting for free agency and arbitration. He will probably never make it into the Hall of Fame because he fought to unionize for players. If you are not aware of that situation, look up the reserve clause and Kurt Flood. Players in their first three major league seasons who compose more than half the league's workforce can have their salaries unilaterally set by the team. They would be the ones made closest to whole under the proposal, reaping $256,706, which is 90% of their prorated salaries of $285,228, plus a minimal postseason bonus. And again, I say I, you, we look at all this money and I question with the risk of the coronavirus, and I go back to Blake Snell and I didn't see all of his comments. Do we need to be putting our money towards this? From there, the percentage of money earned decreases by tier. Players who make $1 million would receive about 82% of their prorated share. At $5 million, it's 56 For $10 million, less than half. And on and on, all the way to Trout, near 30%. The rhetoric and conversations with players centered around him, not only because of the drastic nature of his proposed cuts, but the recognition that his wife is due with their first child in July. MLB, the players said, should be doing everything it can to incentivize its biggest stars to play right now to make baseball the first major professional team sport to return in North America. Its offer did the opposite. The proposal handled the handed the players an easy rallying cry. Not only does MLB want players to take the risk by leaving the comfort of their homes and traveling the country during a global pandemic, it wants the best players in the world to play for pennies on the dollar. Yes, those pennies are large sums a fact not lost on players. They readily acknowledge they get paid handsomely to play a game. Too often, left unsaid, is that teams reap the benefits of that labor and that players are simply in pursuit of their proper share. And that is simply it. That is simply it. Teams reap the benefits of that labor and players are simply in pursuit of their proper share. And I would argue that almost everyone is. We are in a point right now, and I would hope a breaking point for many of these ways that we've been operating for far too long in this country. There is a fair share, and I hope we can figure that out. Grateful to everybody for sticking around with the podcast and listening, even while there is no uh, fresh baseball to watch. There is the Korean Baseball League. I hope you guys are enjoying it. I haven't been watching it. Um, I'm enjoying like catching it here and there on social media. That's a lot of fun. Um, but it's just not for me, not because I don't think it's good enough or anything. I'm just taking this moment to take a break from baseball. It's like a natural break. So I'm just taking it. So that's been good. Um, and, uh, I, I hope everybody can take some time, spend some time with their beliefs and their thoughts and really capitalize on this moment to be the moment that you start doing something. This is the moment, and don't let it pass you by. So, as always, if you liked it, you liked it. 
Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook.